You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's Industry Best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State, and I am your host, Josh Raley, and I am officially back in the state of Wisconsin today. I uh, drove through the night last night, actually, to get here in time to hunt this morning. I spent the day out in the timber, and I had zero luck. I did not see, I did not see a deer. Man, I saw two people. I saw a bunch of turkeys. I actually saw a couple of pheasants running around, which was kind of cool. But other than that, uh, it was a very, very slow day. I actually, uh, I had a scrape that I'd been watching. I've got a camera over it. It's had a lot of activity, but nothing really in daylight of anything with any size. And so the wind was a little bit iffy this morning, so I didn't want to push it. I went about 200 yards south of there, um, set up on a spot that has been good in the past. And not long after I got there, I started hearing somebody grunting probably 75 to 100 yards back behind me. So it's like, okay, there's somebody in here with me now. Uh, But I sat it out. I stayed there and still didn't see anything. I was just downwind of a doe bedding area. I thought maybe I would get some cruising action. I did not. Uh, And of course, a nice eight pointer that I would have shot. You know, not one of the big ones that I've been watching, but. Uh, one that I definitely would have shot, hit that scrape in daylight. Uh, who knows, had I been there, the wind may have uh, betrayed me and I may have gotten busted. But um, anyway, kind of salt in the wound. But hey, tomorrow's a new day. I learned a lot today. I learned that that area that I hunted this morning, I think I'm going to leave it alone. I think the guy that was in there has been hunting it quite a bit because it is just not the same as it was the last two years. And so I'm going to move on. Uh, probably going to hunt that scrape in the morning. Like I said, it's got a good wind. Going to have a southwest wind for that. And so uh, the bucks have been coming from the south to come out and check that scrape. So, yeah, I'm going to be all over it tomorrow morning. We'll see how that goes. But uh, anyway, we've got a great episode in store for you today. I had the chance to talk with Francis Sprecker about a buck that he killed a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, man, it was a, a beautiful deer. And Francis has only been bow hunting for just a little while. And it was kind of neat to hear about his experience hunting last year and how he kind of got uh, got it handed to him as far as uh, getting on a mature buck goes. And then this year to hear the story of his success. So uh, anyway, lots to learn from this episode, especially if you're just starting out in bow hunting or if you're struggling to have success. Uh, I think you're going to learn a lot. So uh, hang around and give this episode a listen. Uh, I'm not going to belabor the point. I'm going to jump right into our sponsors for the week. First of all, we've got Tacticam. Obviously, they're the title sponsor of this show. I put my Tacticams to use today, although I was not able to shoot anything with them, but I still had them in the woods with me and uh, very, very impressed with those. Tacticam is the maker of the best point of view cameras for the hunter and angler. Uh, their new 6.0 and Solo Extreme cameras help you capture your memories from the field so that you can relive them like you're right back there in the moment. Their new 6.0 camera features 4K 60 frame per second footage, up to 8x zoom, a touchscreen display, and one touch operation. And you get all of this in a weatherproof package. They also just released that Solo Extreme camera that gives you all the features you love from other Tacticam cameras like one touch operation, HD video, 
and a sleek waterproof housing, but this one comes in a bit more of a, a budget-friendly option. You can learn more about the 6.0, the Solo Extreme, and Tacticam's full line of products at Tacticam.com. Pick one up today and start sharing your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth is making comfortable, durable camo without the sticker shock. Uh, I'm using the Tarnin pattern this year. I was super impressed today with how well it blended in. I put a little uh, thing on Instagram, actually. I was up in a tree, and I didn't even think about it, and then I realized, wow, this pattern really matches this tree that I'm in super, super well. If you haven't looked at their stuff, I highly recommend you go and do that. It was a little bit warm today, so I was kind of wearing their, their mid-weight stuff, their Elkins uh, pants and Elkins jacket. It kept me super warm. I just had base layers on underneath that, and it was fine down to about 40, you know, 41 degrees, something like that this morning was the low. And uh, yeah, stayed nice and comfortable. So if you want to learn more about Huntworth Gear and all their products, head over to their website, huntworthgear.com. Uh, also, Deer Lab, they're the number one app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab helps you store, organize, and analyze your trail camera intel so that you can make data-driven decisions as you target your buck this fall. Go check out their website, DeerLab.com, to learn more about all their features, and you can sign up for a 30-day risk-free trial. When you're ready to purchase, use the code WISCONSIN, all caps, to get 20% off of any of their plans. And then finally, our newest sponsor, OnX. I'm relying heavily on Onyx, uh, especially this year as, you know, the spots that I thought were going to turn out for me are not. And so the whole time I'm in the stand and I'm thinking, okay, what's my next move? I've got Onyx pulled up and I'm checking things out. I identified a really nice little pinch point back in a marsh that I'm hoping to capitalize on here in the next couple of days. I'm going to have to canoe into it, so it should be quite an adventure, but I think I'm going to be rewarded when I get in there because it's a really tough spot to access. It's only good for a south wind, and pretty much everyone that accesses that area is going to be coming from the south, so the deer are going to pinch down really well between this uh, this little sliver of marsh. There's a little ridge there, and then there's the creek, and so they don't have a lot of room where they can actually move around in this spot. So anyways, if you're not already using Onyx, go over to your preferred app store and just search Onyx Hunt and you can get a seven day free trial. Now let's get into the show with Francis Sprecher. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. And I've got an episode that I am pumped to bring to you today. We've got a listener success story from Mr. Francis Sprecher. Francis, what's going on, buddy? How's it going, Josh? Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Thanks for being willing to come on. I just, uh, you tagged me in a photo on Instagram. And first of all, congrats on a beautiful deer. We'll get into the full story here in just a minute. And uh, then I just kind of sprung it on you like, hey, do you want to come on the show? So, uh, man, thanks for uh, taking a leap and being willing to do that. Yeah, first podcast, so there's first for everything. First deer and now first podcast, so I'm excited. That's right, man. We'll have to make it a regular thing. You need to go out and kill some more stuff, and we can just talk about it all. Uh, that works for me. <laughs> so let's uh, let's kick things off just getting to know you a little bit. Kind of do some hunter profile type stuff, like who are you, where are you from, what part of the state <laughs> are you hunting, how did you get into hunting, all that good stuff. Yeah, so uh, I'm actually 22 right now. Uh, I started hunting when I was 12. I've been hunting in southwestern Wisconsin um, my whole life. I haven't really ventured off um, quite yet. You know, I want to do some trips eventually. But uh, as of right now, staying in Wisconsin, um, I started hunting with my dad and my grandpa um, with the rifle, um, doing the nine-day gun, gun hunts. They never bow hunted or anything. It was always just a uh, gun so we would do that every year. And uh, like I was telling you earlier, two years ago, in uh, my 2020 buck, I killed a, a nice 10-pointer on opening day of rifle season. And I was like, wow, that was really easy. And it was one of the, it was like the season I was least prepared for. I was going to school and I didn't put up any trail cams. Like I did like no preparation or scouting or anything. And so when I got that buck, you know, I was very grateful, but I also kind of felt like I got cheated out of an experience. So that, that winter and then that, that into that following year, I purchased my first bow from one of my friends and just started shooting a lot. Um, and I, you know, went through a lot of struggles with it, hitting my arm a couple of times and, 
And I was thinking, wow, like maybe this is like not for me. Maybe I just need to, you know, you know, go back to gun and kind of just save, you know, the pain. But I kept going through, you know, practicing and going through it. And, um, so going, leading up to that fall, uh, 2021, you know, I was super excited, but I also didn't really know what I was doing because I've never been out in the woods that early. Um, you know, I got to think about like more like back cover and then like, you know, starting to get in the tree stands now, which, you know, so I had one of those and then, so there's, everything was just so new. And I was like, this is, I knew going into it that there's going to be a lot of, uh, learning curves for me. So, um, yeah, I mean, I ended up getting completely skunked both the archery season and the rifle season but I did learn a lot. I saw like a lot of deer movement, um, where I was like, okay, like, I need to be over there, you know? And then of course, like I would go over there and not really play the wind correctly. And like I said, just super rookie, rookie things that, you know, a first time bow hunter doesn't always think of. Um, but then going into this, this year here, you know, I had experience of this area cause I was, out so much last year and I was able, you know, I knew kind of their movements and like what they tend to do, um, especially during different times of the year. And, you know, I had some trail cams out and stuff like that. And then honestly, a lot of my knowledge has been from uh, our good friend of mine, uh, Joe, shout out to him, but he's just been like a big mentor to me. Um, so I did, I was fortunate enough to have someone kind of like, show me the ropes and teach me a lot of stuff. So, um, but then also like, I'm a huge podcast guy. So I, you know, I think I got, I follow like 10 podcasts where like, I just listen, uh, to certain episodes and then I kind of just pick and choose from like all these different people and try to make it relevant to myself. Um, so like, that really helped a lot too. And just like learning deer and like understanding the deer more, um, helped me a lot. That just tell me like where to go. But yeah, so now I kind of gained my hunting knowledge, um, over all these years, kind of jam packed was in those last two years here. So, uh, yeah, I was able to learn enough, play the one correctly and able to tag out on my first archery deer finally. So, Man, that's awesome. I, I love hearing these stories of guys who are like just getting into it, man, and then finding success relatively quickly. Like I know a lot of people who picked up a bow and struggled not just for a season, but like years and years and years. And you mentioned two things there that I think are really crucial. Number one, finding a good mentor. Like if you're a new hunter out there and you're struggling in the deer woods, like find a mentor, find somebody around that can help you, you know, get in the right places, make the right decisions and that kind of thing. Number two, there's so much good information out there. I mean, so I'm obviously biased. I, I work with the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. We've got a ton of great content. One of the most rewarding things, though, is when people who listen to either one of my shows or one of the other shows reach out and say, hey, man, I've had a great time hunting. You know, here's the success that I've had or maybe maybe not success in the form of a, of a deer on the ground, but success in the form of, I'm getting out there in the woods, I'm building my confidence and I'm having a good time. And, and they'll, and then they say, and it's because of the content you guys put out. Like that's the most rewarding part about, about all of this. So, well, man, let, let's dive into kind of your hunting scenario a little bit. So you're, you're hunting the Southwest portion of the state, right? Are you hunting public, yeah. private, a mix of both? What does that look like? Um, so I do both. Um, this particular deer was on private. Uh, my dad has a uh, 40 acres, uh, small section and it's kind of tucked away. So, uh, the way the land was, it used to have, uh, it, it used to be cornfield and like beans field and stuff. So a lot of ag land and then it was attached and then like the bluff and the hills, you know, were in the back. And then, so, uh, life happens and everything, and then you get out of farming. Um, so that land's now leased, so it's not ours anymore, but there's an easement to, uh, alongside the field to get back up into the woods. So that's where I've been hunting, uh, the majority of my time because I had trail cams 
out and, you know, there's a couple of good deer that I really wanted to pursue. Um, but I did go on public a couple of times, but I haven't put out cameras there. It was more or less to try to scout out the new areas. It was like my first year also trying public land. So I <clears throat> wanted to dibble my toes in it instead of a full bore going in there. And, you know, I didn't want to get a, you know, like a tainted experience just trying to hunt public, you know, and I had 40 acres and I don't know. I just, I've heard some horror stories. So, um, I'm not scared of it. I love it. You know, I'm a big advocate for public land. So I, I do want to like definitely try it again. You know, maybe I can even go like this year. It's just kind of hard to scout public land too. When in the summertime and everything's so green and thick, um, it's kind of hard to tell with a lot of what's going on a lot. So I would like to go in there anyways this year and kind of be able to see a little bit more with the leaves gone. But yeah, so back to that 40 acres kind of, it's, uh, it's almost like three little valleys and it's all ridgeline that goes around these three valleys. So it's kind of like a W. And, um, so that's usually where I hunt. Uh, I got some mock, mock scrapes in there, in there and I could tell they were hitting that stuff. And, uh, so it's kind of, kind of, it's funny though, how all this happened now. So it's kind of like going back to that rookie, rookie mistake stuff. So I put my cameras out, you know, I was excited and need something to do this summer. So I put my cameras out pretty early, like maybe July 1st, maybe even earlier than that. But, and so I came and I checked my cameras, uh, this September and all my memory cards were full and the batteries were dead. Oh, so no. I had to, I know. So I had to take all my trail cameras, bring them all back home, clean them up, switch batteries out, you know, went through my SD cards. So, you know, I had some nice ones. And uh, basically fresh them up and kind of give myself a good old reset. So the day I actually came in there to shoot, when I, when I shot my buck, I came in really early because the winds were super high. It was like wind gusts of like 30 miles an hour. Wow. And so I, I kind of knew that I was like, all right, I'm going to be able to kind of walk around these woods a little bit. I'll be able to put some, you know, trail cams out because it's going to be windy. I can move around more. So I put all these, I'm trying to put these trail cams out and then I just wanted to, you know, just sit and relax and, you know, start hunting. Um, and then, so I walk, you know, I park on the road and I walk all the way along these, this cornfield, get into the woods, get up top. And when I get all the way up top of this ridge, I'm just sitting there and I realize that my stabilizer fell off my bow. I have a quick disconnect and I think it must've been loose or something. And when I was walking in, it popped right off. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, gosh, darn it. You know, am I going to find this thing? Like I'll have to make sure that I got a back, you know, I want to backtrack, try to find it, land on top of leaves or something. But I was like, I kind of knew like the amount of leaves on the ground and leaves kept falling. So it was so windy. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably not going to find the stabilizer, but I was like, it is what it is. And I was like, it's not, you know, I could still hunt. It's not like a, a killer or anything. Like, you know, it might feel weird when I shoot, but like, it's not going to affect my accuracy or anything like that. I didn't think so. Um, so then, you know, um, where I was hunting at that time was a ridgeline, um, where there were some scrapes. So I was, uh, hunting over some scrapes, like a, you know, a scrape line, hoping that some bucks would be coming, freshening up their scrapes and starting to do some pre-rut stuff. Plus there's a lot of acorns dropping on the ridge. So I was like, you know, this is kind of like a perfect storm with the acorns falling already. And then, um, you know, a nice rub line going along and I didn't see a deer that whole night. <laughs> oh man. And well, Hey, before you, before you get too far in the story, I want to, I want to yeah. ask about those, uh, ask about two different things. Number one, you said you'd set up some mock scrapes. Are you guys doing anything else mm -hmm. like food plots or anything on this property or is mock scrapes kind of as much as you did? Um, so I usually only do mock scrapes just because, uh, I kind of staying away from food plots just because with all the, like the alfalfa fields, the soybeans and the corn that are kind of all around my little bluff country I got going on that I just don't feel like personally, I just, 
they got food, you know, they're always going out into the food. So I'm like, until the farmer, you know, quits, you know, putting crops in, then I'll start maybe thinking about a food plot. I have thought about it. I have dabbled into it way back when, but just inexperience in the, you know, it never worked out, never grew correctly and stuff. And then I kind of figured hey, that those, those crop fields I think are, you know, are going to be good for them. They already kind of got food. So I kind of wanted to worry about other stuff. Yeah, man. I, I think that's a really good move. I mean, if you've got food all around you, then I think mock scrapes are a great move. In fact, I was talking with, uh, I had Dan Johnson on my other podcast, you know, Dan from Nine Finger Chronicles. And Dan has a new property. And one of the things he was talking about, because I asked him, like, can you plant any food plots? And he said, well, I don't really want to plant any food plots. He's like, I don't want to mess with how the deer are using the property. And I don't want the deer necessarily, you know, coming to feed on parts of my property. I want it, I want to keep it how it is with, security cover and bedding and that kind of thing so that he can bank on the, the movement as it is. So I think using mock scrapes, you know, because you've already got food all around you, you know, give them a little bit of something different, you know, rather than just give them the same thing that they've got all around. So when you got those trail cameras out of the woods, first of all, are you using lithium batteries? I am. Yeah, you are. And they died on you. Yeah, it was oh. so weird. And I don't know if it was because I have older trail cams, or if they just started um, acting funny because, like, my my little uh, four and six, eight gigabyte, whatever I was using at the time, memory cards just filled up, so they just, like, completely shut off. Mm, so yeah. I think they kind of just filled up with, like, you know, a bunch of does moving around and then your typical, like, uh, branches and leaves falling in front of it. So I think they kind of just filled up and then shut off So because I was, like, kind of, like, oh, they're not even turning on. Like, what's going on? So then when I brought them home, you know, I, I only had to put like four new batteries in like my three I had, you know, so I think the batteries are fine. It was just, you know, they got full and then they kind of shut off. They yeah. stopped kind of working for me when I was in the woods. So yeah, those, yeah. those lithium batteries too, from, from what I can tell now, first of all, they're definitely worth the money as far as like you get a lot more life out of them. But I have heard people say you can get like a bad one every once in a while. And if you have one bad lithium battery, the whole camera is just not going to work. So I've actually got a little mm-hmm. voltmeter that I now, I test all of my batteries before I put them in just to make sure that they're putting out the right amount of power before I ever launch that so that I can have that confidence that I'm not going to have one battery that's going to kind of ruin, you know, ruin the whole thing for me. So in, in all of this trail camera data that you got, did you get any really good bucks that you were feeling like you could have an encounter with? Yeah, so I actually got, uh, it's kind of hard to tell in the trail cam picture, um, but he looked, he's at least a 12, uh, could be 13 or 14. It's hard to tell if uh, his tines are busted off. Um, but that was my number one target buck. I was like, wow, like this is probably the biggest buck that's ever been on this property. Definitely the biggest buck that I've ever had on trail cam before. So he was like my number one for sure. And he, I had, and I actually had that camera, um, on Ridgeline that I was talking about where I wanted to hunt because I knew like acorns are dropping. Yeah. There's a rub line. I had a camera kind of off the rub line and I had him going in there hitting rubs and I knew he wasn't that far away either because I was getting pictures at like five thirty in the morning of him going back in and him and he was coming out of his bedding area at like nine thirty, So I was like, okay, I don't think he's that far off because he's not, you know, not in the middle of the night. You know, it kind of seemed like he yep. was, that was more of a less his like entry. So I knew it was pretty cool. So I also didn't want to push him too hard. Um, cause I knew that he was fairly close. Um, but I had him and then I had, uh, another one is just a really wide eight. I mean, just like crazy wide, looked like ridiculously funny wide. And I was like, wow, you know, that's also a really nice deer. Um, you know, it's big, nice frame and everything on him. And, um, so he was like, you know, my quote unquote number two buck. But, uh, then, you know, I had some, uh, just smaller eights and stuff, decent eights. But then, you know, I, I like to say, oh, that's my number one. That's my number two. But then like, I know, you know, deep down inside, like if there's, you know, a shooter buck, like I'm going to take it. I'm not going to try to have my first 
archery tag be like a 14 pointer or anything crazy. Like, you know, I, I do, you know, I knew I was going to be humble and I was like, I don't need that 14 pointer. Would it be nice? Of course. But yeah, it's just, you know, it's out there and it like helps you get out of bed in the morning. But at the end of the day, like, I'm just happy to be able to like, get one. So this episode is brought to you by the Onyx Hunt app. Onyx gives you up-to-date landowner information, color-coded public and private land boundaries, and gives you a ton of tools to help you hunt smarter. One tool I'm loving right now is their optimal wind feature, which lets you set the optimal wind for a given location, then tells you in real time whether the wind is good, bad, or just okay for that spot. You can try it risk-free for seven days right now. Just download the Onyx Hunt app on your preferred app store today. I'm kind of in a in a little bit of a dilemma right now in that same vein. So I've got um, currently several bucks that probably score around that 150 mark. So really, really big deer, really nice deer. Um, but I've also got several bucks coming through that are around that like 115 inch mark. And, um, you know, those other ones are like, those are the ones that are keeping me up at night that I'm like trying to figure out, okay, where is he coming from? So I'm getting them just before daylight and I'm getting him just a little bit, you know, kind of like you said, like nine 30 at night. So, all right, where is he really at? But at the end of the day, man, one of those 115 inches walks by and it, he's going to get an arrow flung at him. I'm at least going to scare it real bad. You know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> he might not come home with me, but I'm, I'm going to scare him real, real bad. So, uh, all right. So this, this sounds like a wonderful property, man, that you're hunting. I mean, Southwestern Wisconsin, it's, it's hard to beat that area just as far as the bluff country and how, uh, how that tr- how that really funnels down next down deer movement. I did some habitat work out there um, last spring with Whitetail Partners, uh, which if you don't follow Whitetail Partners on Instagram, you need to go check them out. They put out a ton of good information, uh, lots of good stuff about like mock scrapes and water holes and how to really sweeten up a spot on a property and w- really without focusing too much on food plots. So they give you a lot of other stuff that you can do. But uh, I got to work with him and a and on a property in southwestern Wisconsin, Sam Billhorn. And man, the the beat down trails that we saw because of the way the terrain funnels the deer movement was unlike anything that I was used to, you know, hunting primarily uh, south central Wisconsin, where it's just kind of more flat land, you know, really focusing on vegetation edges as opposed to terrain features. Um, you know, and, it's, and that's just a whole different thing. So all right, so you you go in for this this one hunt and you didn't see a single deer. Um, what date was that? Uh, October twenty third. Okay, October twenty third. So you go in, you don't see a single deer. Had you hunted the property a lot before October twenty third, or were you kind of staying out waiting for your time? Um. So I guess I wouldn't say I hunted it a lot, but I was also hunting it. So I was probably in there five or six times, but I wasn't in the same spot ever twice. Okay. So I, I really was, uh, bumping around, moving around, trying different, uh, ridges and stuff. Cause like I said, it's about, I got about three, three little, uh, ridge lines there, um, secondary points and stuff on the top of the map. But yeah, so I was moving around, um, trying not to burn on a specific spot, but yeah, it was about my, probably my sixth set, I think of the season. Okay, that's a good time to start uh, start concentrating your your efforts. So, um, were you having good encounters before, or were you kind of like, man, I just can't get on the deer? Um, so I was seeing uh, some doe, but they were slightly they were like slightly out of bull range at like forty to fifty yards, and they weren't really moving how I thought they were going to be moving. They weren't moving like across or anything like I thought. They were kind of moving down, so. I didn't really have any good encounters at all just because one, I, you know, the deer I were seeing, which is just a couple of doe, you know, a couple of times they weren't doing anything that I expected. And I wouldn't, you know, and two, I wouldn't be able to get a shot at them. So I was a little worried, but then I kind of just like, nope, like this is your game plan. This is what the trail cams are showing. Like you got to stick, got to stick with it right now. It's too early to start you know, throwing your plan out the window. So I wasn't too worried, but I knew they'd come around. It was early at two and when those accounts were happening. So yeah, October 23rd is even still a little early, but starting up now. So yeah, for sure. For sure. So, all right, walk me through the rest of this hunt. So you, 
you get in there, you don't see a single deer. Your stabilizer is somewhere on a ridge line. Uh, did you ever find it? I did not. Oh no. man. Okay. All right. So that's a, maybe a, boy, that'll be tough to find once all the leaves are gone and on the mm. ground. And so better get in there before the snow falls or you'll be finding it next spring. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, I think it did help me. I think it was a, a sign. It was telling me like, Hey, you need to go and leave your stand early to find your stabilizer. Because like I was saying, it was super windy and I hadn't seen anything all day. And so around 5.30 rolls around and I'm like, all right, so I want to try to look for the stabilizer a little bit before it gets dark. So I did uh, end up coming down uh, early. I know 5.30 is early shooting late. I think that night was a little bit after 6. So I knew I was early, but I just wanted to try to find the stabilizer and I still had another trail cam that I wanted to set up. So I'm trying to backtrack and um, I end up setting up a trail cam where, you know, I thought was a good area and I'm slowly walking out, trying to find my stabilizer, really not even looking up, just like at the ground. Um, every now and then looking up, all right, is there any deer on me? No, okay, I keep going. And I actually get uh, to like the field edge. So I get all the way out there. And I am sitting in basically like on the, on the fence line. Um, so the way the property is lined out is we actually own, uh, one of the ag fields. It's really nice. So, uh, the main farmer we lease everything to has got basically like three quarters of it, but then we have the, the quarter that's closest to the, the timber, the woods. So, um, he still farms and everything, but, um, you know, it's, you know, we own it. So it's, it's huntable. And I was kind of sitting on that when I got to that field edge is when I saw the, and the reason I backtrack a little bit, the reason I wanted to go out so bad that day was because the farmer had just chopped all this corn. So I wanted I figured, all right, so the deer are going to be out of the corn. They're going to be in the woods finally. And then, you know, they'll be coming out to feed in this fresh chopped corn, you know, all the leftovers on the ground. So I was like, all right, this, this could be good for me here. So when I got out there, it was probably like 545. And then I saw this buck. And I, I, I knew he was a buck based off his body, and I could kind of see his antlers. But he, I ranged him, and he was 168 yards away. Oh, so he's, like, like, All right. he's not real close. He, so what is he doing no. when you see him? He's, he's got his head down and he's eating. So I'm like, okay, I, you know, I could sneak up on this deer. Like I have to try, you know, I'm not just going to go walk back to the truck. He, you know, he'd see me and bust me anyway. So I wanted to make a move on him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the, I was a little worried because there wasn't a whole lot of cover and so the, my only way I could get closer to him was just walking the, the field edge and having this tall grass and like trees kind of, you know, have, as like a backdrop for me. So, and the wind was hitting my face, you know, he's upwind of me. So I'm like, wind's perfect. And, you know, I got a little bit of backdrop, but I'm basically just standing there with a bow in my hand and I'm trying to like do an awkward crouch down trying to make myself smaller without crawling on my knees. Um, so every time he uh, would put his head down is when I would uh, take a few steps closer. Then when I got to about a hundred yards is when he started looking back at me. And so I would freeze. And then that's when the good old buck fever kicked in and my knees start shaking real bad. And I'm like, Oh God, I hope he doesn't see, you know, this movement, <laughs> Stop, you know, but, uh, so I kept, and so then he'd look at me for a while, which felt like forever, but it, he wasn't too concerned because he'd go right back, put his head right back down and start eating again. Do you think he was hearing so, you, you know, or I, do you think he just like, I think, well, it was super windy, so I don't think he was hearing me, but I think he kind of just, I don't know if he had that sixth sense or maybe, you know, maybe he was, he could maybe kind of see me cause you know, he was still look, he would look up and look around his surroundings to make sure he was good. So maybe he, he kind of knew something was there, 
but wasn't sure what it was because, you know, I was still a hundred yards away at that point. And then just having that back, that back cover, I don't think you could really pick me out. Yeah. Um, so I just kept going, um, getting closer every time his head was down. And then I got that, like, I think it was 68 yards when I ranged. I'm like, crap, almost there, almost there. I just got to get, you know, a little bit closer here. And, um, he looked at me and now he's staring at me and I'm just like, all right, this deer sees me. Like I am busted. And so for, I was like, I'm just going to throw a Hail Mary here. And I had my grunt tube kind of down in my collar and I pull out my grunt tube and I just throw a little grunt out and he just keeps looking at me. And then I'm like, okay, I don't know if you heard that or not, but then he put his head back right down and started eating again. Oh, so maybe so you like, thought you were right. another deer kind of yeah. walking along so that no. fence line or the field edge. Yeah, so yeah, so you probably thought I was like a small buck or something, you know, messing with him or trying to push him around because so I'm like, all right, so this is, this is saving me. And I you started walking. It kept going. And it's about, I got him at 50 yards. And he's now, the way he's feeding and stuff, he's broadside at 50 yards. And I am comfortable at 50 yards. I said that would be my absolute max. I wouldn't do it from a tree stand. But for me, the scenario was perfect. I'm standing, like I'm stationary. I'm not hanging off the side of a tree. Um, and I did. Re- I felt really comfortable with that shot. And so he's broadside. And he starts walking away. And I'm like, all right, I would like to try to get closer. But he's broadside. And now he's starting to kind of angle away from me here. So I need to... Uh, I need to make a move because I'm, I'm not going to be able to get any closer because he's now going out further into this field. So I'm like, all right, it's do or die time. So I range him one last time. And he's at 55 yards. I'm like, all right, perfect. So I put my uh, <clears throat> my 50 pin on him. I am, I am a little bit high. And he stops. And I'm just kind of holding there. And at first I was worried. I'm like, all right, with my buck fever, am I going to be able to hold steady on this deer? Because am I going to be shaking all over the place or what? And I was telling myself, I'm like, if you are shaking all over this deer, like you're not going to shoot. Like you want, like, cause I did not, that was my, it's my biggest worry is wounding an animal and not being able to, to get it, especially being a new archery hunter. Like no one wants to have that be their first experience. Yeah. For from sure. Shooting at. Um, but I, I, you know, I pulled back and I was surprisingly super steady on him. I'm like, all right. Even without the stabilizer, I was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wasn't even thinking about the stupid stabilizer at that point. Yeah, at that but, point, it's a it's a long lost memory. At that point, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I was nice to steady on him, and I and I uh, let her go, and he he heard the string slightly because he uh, turned as soon as he heard that string, but at that point, it was too late, and. Uh, so I end up double lunging him, but he was just turned slightly enough where my arrow actually came out a little far back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so come to find out, I, I did end up hitting a little bit of the, um, the guts in the back there. I barely nicked the guts. It was just that angle that he, uh, he took when he kind of turned. So I got a complete pass through with my arrow and that's, that just ended up what happened, what, what happened. Fortunately, but so he took off right along, you know, our fence line. I'm like, this is perfect, you know. And I'm worried though. I'm like, all right, dude, the, the hit, you know, it sounded solid. Like, it was definitely a solid hit. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. Their gear is made for outdoorsmen by outdoorsmen. Archery openers are just around the corner, and Tacticam has just released several new products to help you share your hunt and take your scouting to the next level. Topping the list is their 6.0 point-of-view camera, providing 4K footage and a user-friendly, waterproof package. They've also just released the new Solo Extreme, giving you HD footage, 3 to 8x zoom, and one-touch operation. And Tacticam's lineup of of point-of-view cameras is supported by the best mounts and adapters on the market. This fall, I'll be using their bow stabilizer mount as well as their bendy clamp mount to make sure my cameras don't miss any of the action. And last but not least, Tacticam just launched the Reveal X Pro. 
With no visible flash, built-in LCD screen, and built-in GPS tracking, the Reveal X Pro will help you take your scouting to the next level. You can learn more about these and Tacticam's entire line of products at Tacticam.com or RevealCellCam.com. This episode is also brought to you by DeerLab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. DeerLab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. DeerLab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them, deer, turkeys, people, whatever. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you occasionally forget to set the correct time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can get a free trial on there for 30 days. And then when you're ready to buy, use the code Wisconsin at checkout for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show. Did you see where you made impact? Like, were you really confident where it, where it hit? Or was it like a, I don't, not quite sure where I hit him. No, I did see where I hit. I hit him uh, right behind the shoulder. I mean, I would have liked to have it a little bit closer to his front shoulder, but uh, yeah, so I did see where I hit, so I knew it was good. And I, like I said, I heard that solid impact. I'm like, this is awesome. And he's running, he's running. And I'm like, oh God, he's still going. <laughs> you know, was it not that good? You know, like I could have swore. Because, um, you know, I, I saw where it impacted. I'm like, did I not get good penetration? Like what, what's going on? You know, he, he did kind of like that little spin move, like kind of pinwheeled on me when he heard that string. So I'm like, it doesn't always look, you know, or it doesn't always, not always as good as it looks sometimes. So, but anyways, he's running, he's running, and then he stops. And he kind of just got his head, you know, looking at the ground. And I'm like, gosh dang it, is this deer going to like start eating again? I was like, did I not hit him? Like I could have swore I hit him. And then he ended up, he dropped right there. So I actually got to see him drop. Oh, so he, Which was awesome because I know, you know, it's, it's that's kind of rare to be able to see, you know, an archer deer drop, but he ran about 70 yards and then I saw him uh, bed down and he kind of just dropped, but he kind of just fell like on all fours, kind of collapsed. I was like, all right, so it kind of looked like he bedded down, but he also dropped. So I kind of stayed quiet and I didn't want to move because I didn't want him to spook or I didn't want to bump him, you know, walk, getting out and then walk in the middle of this field back to my truck. You know, I didn't want to, have him push because like I said he's in the middle of the cornfield like laying in the stock so I was like he's not stupid so I, I need to make sure he doesn't get uh, bumped again because I want him to die there so I waited about half an hour and it was dark at this point so I think it was like maybe I waited only like 15 or 20 minutes but I waited till it was dark so I could just sneak out of there got to the truck and then uh, I didn't have any cell phone reception down in this like little valley Oh, wide no. open field. So I'm like calling my dad. I'm like, he's expecting me, you know, up at his house um, for a beer and stuff. And I'm like trying to call him like, dude, I just got one. Like, you know, come on down. And then I was trying to call my wife and then nothing was going through. So then I drive all the way back up to the house and I tell him and, you know, he was super excited for me. And he, you know, yeah, I, I told him, I was like, well, did you think I'd get one tonight? He's like, no. I'm like, well, get your spotlight out because you got a deer to find. So he was super happy for me. So it was, it was awesome uh, for my dad to be a part of that too. And he was actually the, the guy that found him. We were, we were looking and I'm like, my dad being my dad. So he goes, where do you think he dropped? And I told him and I'm sitting there and I'm looking for like my initial hit site. And my dad's all the way over there thinking like <laughs> shining the spotlight, like, looking for this dead deer because yeah. well he said he dropped on like this is not how you're supposed to go about it dad like <laughs> um but yeah so um the, the stocks were like just knee high so it's actually kind of hard to find them because it, well, they weren't like real short you know they're just at that right uh distance or, or that length and height where it's really hard to see through them like you have to go row by row because you know they're going to probably chop it for a uh, silage or something later on in the year so they left it kind of high so it's just annoying to walk through, and then it's really hard to see uh, through the roll. You have to go roll by roll. And, yeah, he found it. He goes, oh, there he is. And he's standing on him, and I'm still looking for my arrow. I'm like, <laughs> come on, Dad. Uh, but, that's no, he was, I, he was excited about it. And, you know, I, I, was, I was confident because I saw him drop, and at that point he was probably sitting over half an hour. So, yeah, it was awesome. 
man. It was, it's a beautiful buck. Congratulations. Tell me, you know, kind of run me through the, the, the buck. Like what, what's he look like? What, how wide is he? All that good stuff. Yeah. He's about uh 23 inch, um, spread. He's an eight pointer. He's very unique. He's got, uh, he's very curvy. One of his uh, brow tines really curves, like goes in and comes back out. So he's got, he's definitely got some, uh, character. Um, he's definitely my biggest buck to date too. I haven't had him scored or anything yet. Um, I'm not a huge scorer. Um, just cause to me, like I just happy to get it and you know, it looks cool You know, it's, it's awesome, but I do want to get him scored. But right now he's actually at the taxidermist already. I'm getting a Euro mount for him. So he's going to get some beetles soon. And so get, hopefully get that back before rifle season. But yeah, he was an awesome deer. Um, that night was actually going to be pretty warm and, uh, we had a storm roll through, uh, that night. So luckily, uh, we found this deer and it's kind of my mistake too, is I didn't know it was going to rain as soon as it was going to, I thought it was going to rain like Monday morning. Cause that was what I was seeing. And then the storm rolled through like Sunday, like n- Sunday night at like nine. So when I called my buddies, you know, they're all worried. They're like, yo, we got to find this, you know, start tracking it because it's going to be raining tonight. And it was only going to get down to like 60 degrees, 64, I think was the low. Oh, man. Um, so, you know, we wanted to find this deer. And, but yeah, so we made sure we found it, obviously. And the first thing we did, you know, I gutted it before all my buddies even came. And, uh, Took it to Joe, my friend Joe's house. He uh, helped me up. He he's my mentor, and he wanted to show me how everything's done. You know, with uh, how he butchers and he prepares deer because everyone does it different. Yeah. I know he does it different than how me and my dad did it. You know, he was like, "This is a whole new world." He was showing me this stuff. So uh, we got it quartered and skinned and quartered and everything. Uh, put it on ice. It's in the freezer now, and uh, waiting for the CWD results. Uh, to come back so oh yeah that's right that's right so what what did that process look like for you to get this deer tested yeah so you it used to be like people think that you have to turn the whole head in i think it's like the brain and stuff and it might have it maybe back then it, it like used to have to be do that um so a lot of people weren't getting their cwd t- deers um they weren't getting them tested because if you were to shoot a buck the DNR's kind of protocol was you like basically, you know, you cut the head off, you tag your antlers and then you send them in and everyone was super worried about getting their antlers back, getting the right antlers back. I mean, if you shoot a nice buck, the last thing you want to do is like send it to someone or you don't know where it's going. Yep. Um, but the process, um, now is you find a CWD, uh, station with they're usually like at a county park. I mean, there's three within like a 15 minute drive of me here where I'm at, but, uh, they usually come with a, a carcass dumpster and it all goes off of donations and it's run by volunteers. So it's really awesome program, but you fill out the form and they want to know, obviously like your customer number, your harvest, um, authorization, like your tag number essentially, and then they want to know where it was killed. And it's, it's very specific, though, on where it was killed. It was the landowner's name and then uh, the county. And then it goes into township. And then it goes into the range of the township. And then it, even smaller into it's blocked into like a square. And they want to know if it was uh, the northeast, northwest, the southeast, the southwest portion of your property. So they even want to know exactly where that was. Um, so I'm going through this and I'm like trying to find like the township and I'm like, what's, what's my range of this township. And then I keep reading. I see I can do it on my phone. So I'm like, okay, I want to pull up my phone. And so I'm on my phone and then it's awesome because they're like, where did you kill this deer? And there's a map. And I just, I'm zooming in and I find where I kill it. 
and I just tapped the screen and all that information just auto filled for me because I clicked it on the map and the, the way it's programmed just filled it out for you because it knows that exact location. Oh, that's awesome. And then, yeah. So then I was like, oh, I don't even need to like fill all this out and kind of like Google all these things. Um, but after you get all that information filled, you keep a portion. It's like basically your ID number with your sample. So you get kind of like a copy and they get a copy and my taxidermist did it for me. Um, they are kind of hard to get at from my understanding of, from the untrained eye, but it's the two glands kind of underneath their jaw. Um, and so they just cut those glands out and you put them in uh, little plastic baggies and then you send them in. You bring it back to that kiosk and there's a little drop box basically for it. And then there's a, a number on the drop box and uh, you text whoever's like, whatever the, whatever volunteers in charge of that station, they're kind of the upkeeper of it. And you just call them or text them and say, Hey, I just dropped off a sample just so you know, because they're not checked regularly. So you want to let them know like, Hey, there's a sample there. That way it gets out sooner rather than later. Cause you want to know that way you can continue on with your life and stuff like that. So, um, it's also really cool too. Wisconsin does uh, CWD tags now. Um, it's kind of a nice incentive they're doing to get people to test their deers for CWD. Um, so basically, uh, if you get a buck and it comes back, it has CWD, they'll actually give you another buck tag and it'll be good for uh, this year or, like, or the year you shot it. Or if you don't fill it, it'll be good next year too. So really? I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's also interesting because it's not specific to gun or bow. So it's either or. So if I were to get this deer back and it does have CWD and I get my CWD tag, I could have two gun bucks. Wow. Or, or next year, you know, I could have two archery and then, or one buck or, you know, they might've changed it a little bit, but that was kind of, you know, I could be uh, wrong on that. So definitely double check, but I do know for sure you do get a CWD tag. It might be, it might be limited to like, if you, if it's your archery tag, you have to do archery, but from my understanding, no, it's not, there's no limit. So yeah. Then if you don't use it that year, it actually rolls over the next year. So that's huge. Yeah. Wisconsin's really getting big on the CWD and, you know, they weren't getting a lot of people testing them. Cause like I said, you know, it was kind of, uh, you get a lot of people that are skeptical of it, don't care or whatever, but it's nice for the DNR to know it too, so they can track it to really, you know, better manage uh, Wisconsin's herds. So, yeah. So what, what's your plan? So, um, I host the how to hunt deer podcast as well. And we've been doing this thing called deer camp where me and a couple of other hosts from the network, we get together, we just kind of get on there and talk about whatever's on our mind and recent sightings and all that good stuff. One of the things we talked about last night when we were recording is who's going to eat a CWD deer and who's not. So what are your plans with the meat if it comes back positive? So I usually, it's been two years since I've gotten a deer, but I, this is my first deer that I'm actually testing. One, because I'm getting big into the whole, you know, land management, public lands. Like, you know, I think it's nice for, you know, the DNR and other people to know and be able to track it. Uh, but two, like I just, I, the reason I, I, uh, I'd eat it, I guess. Uh, I, you know, I'd cook it all the way through. Um, I don't, uh, eat the tongue or any of the, like the organs or liver or the heart. Um, that was all pretty beat up with my arrow anyways, but, um, they say it doesn't transfer to humans. And, um, I think if you, you keep it clean, you prepare it right and you cook it all the way through, um, I think it's good to go. It's definitely going to like kind of depend on how I, how I prepare it or how I butcher it up. You know, I might not, um, have as many steaks or, you know, I can't, you know, I probably wouldn't eat a medium rare steak, you know, of a CWD deer. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, um, so, and then no one wants like a dry it up, you know, cut all the way through steak either. So, you know, I'm a big burger guy, you know, or chilies, a lot of, you know, just to get that venison, that ground venison, you know, I would definitely probably just end up having more of that. So a little bit safer, it's cooked all the way through. can use a lot of stuff with it. So that's probably, if it comes back to CWD, I'd just do more ground venison. Yeah. 
So you mentioned there that it, that all that all the organs were kind of beat up with your arrow. I'm curious about what your arrow setup was. I mean, you took a you took mm-hmm. a poke, man. Like that's a that's a pretty far shot, and you got a complete pass through. So what kind of arrow and broadhead setup do you have? Yeah, so for broadheads, I'm using the quad Exodus fixed blade. It's a three, you know, fixed blade. Um, for my arrow, I'm shooting a 330 spine. Um, I think my total arrow weight when I last measured it out is only like 490 488, 490 is my total, uh, arrow weight. Um, so not a super heavy arrow pushing 500, but I know a lot of people are getting into a heavy arrow for, uh, you know, that better penetration, but yeah, so a 490 arrow with the quad exodus and I'm pulling back 70 pounds with a 28 inch draw length. Okay. So you've got, that's pretty good energy. I mean, a 490 grain arrow doesn't sound heavy right Mm -hmm. now. And it probably wasn't heavy back in the days when folks were shooting, you know, aluminum arrows and that kind of thing. But during that whole speed craze, I guess you could say where guys were kind of using as light of an arrow as they could, um, Mm -hmm. a 490 grain arrow is still pretty heavy compared to, you know, what people were using, you know, five, six, seven years ago, um, on the arrow front. So, well, man, before, before I let you off of here, I mean, Awesome story. Again, congratulations. Beautiful buck. Uh, I'm curious to hear a little bit about, I mean, it, it's great to hear like the the success story, right? Like the one that ends with a buck. I want to hear just a little bit about your season last year and like sure. maybe what are some of the big takeaways? Like what did you learn from last year that you brought into this year that you think maybe made uh, a difference in the way you hunted or, uh, you know, helped you get on this buck or whatever? Yeah, so my the number one thing I think of is when you say that is thermals and basically like wind tunnels. So my problem last year when I got stunk, it was I would see deer, but I was getting winded constantly. Mm. And I was like, there's not even wind. Like, they, like, there's no wind. How are they, you know, smelling me this far away? And that's when I started learning about thermals is that I, you know, I was basically kind of like not in the bottom of the valley, but I was low. And, you know, then I realized, oh, you know, my thermals are going up to these ridge lines where they're, you know, where they're moving and they're smelling me. So that was, that's definitely number one. I mean, I was seeing deer. I was just greedy, I guess. I wasn't greedy, but, you know, it was my first year bull hunting. I got into it because last year I thought, you know, it just, I got it too easy. And so my first year bull hunting, I really wanted to like, kill a, a mature buck and I just didn't see one. Um, there was does and stuff, but I was like, you know, I, you know, I, I have meat, you know, from last year still, I'm not in a huge rush to get a doe. Like if I want a doe, I could always get out the gun and I just didn't want to spook stuff out. Plus maybe it was a little bit of, uh, nervousness like, Oh God, yeah. you know, and now it's, you know, just kind of trying to get one. Um, so yeah, I learned kind of about thermals, the wind for sure. Um, I did learn though a lot last year of like how much they, like how they move around my property, which is huge, which totally changed my game plan. Um, this year was seeing like um, where the rub lines were, like where, how they moved along the ridges, where they're coming out, where they're, you know, where they're not coming, all these different things that really helped build me into this year. And, uh, you know, just listening to podcasts, you know, even like your podcast, the how to hunt podcast, how to hunt deer podcast, you know, you just learn things too about like the acorns and the time of year, what they're doing. And you like also learn a lot of stuff. So that's what I was kind of doing a lot of off season was just really not watching hunting videos on YouTube, but like actually learning more about the deer itself and stuff like that, which also helped me coming into this year because then when you kind of know more about the deer you're hunting, you can kind of project their moves or kind of understand the why. It's always like the, why is it doing that? Why is it doing this? So those things really helped me. But yeah, I mean, I, last year I definitely could have gotten a doe or something like that, but yeah, I just wasn't looking for it. So that's, Yeah. Well, and another thing that I love about this story, you killed a buck on October 23rd, which a lot of folks are going to say, eh, that's a little earlier than I'm really getting after it with a bow. 
And you also mm-hmm. killed it on a pretty warm day. Like how hot was yeah. it that day? Yeah, I was sweating walking in. It was, uh, I mean, it's a hike up to that ridge, but I think it was about 75 degrees that day. Wow. And so yeah. on a 75 degree day on October 23rd, you ran into a buck in a crop field. Yes. And it wasn't even where I was wanting to hunt that day. It was because I was looking for my stabilizer. Yeah. So. Well, and man, too, kudos to you for that. I mean, that's something that I think folks can learn from, too, is like that your hunt had not gone how you expected. Like you mm-hmm. had like it took some, I don't know, resilience. Like you, you, you know, you had circumstances that were out of your control that popped up that kind of could have messed things up, could have put you in a bad mood. Like you could have just been upset about the stabilizer, not able to find it. Just like, I'm going back to the truck, you know, and, and just busted out of the woods instead of taking your time, moving kind of slow and even being able to get within, you know, within sight of a buck, this, uh, of this caliber and, and see him and then the confidence to make a play on it. So, uh, well done, man. Good job. Congratulations. Beautiful deer. I will put uh, a picture of that deer as the cover for this episode. If you're, if you're good with me running that. So, uh, what are your plans for the rest of the year? I mean, you're you're tagged out, so you just waiting for gun yeah. season. Uh yeah, definitely waiting for uh, gun season. Uh, actually, just two weeks ago, I got a new Bortex scope, so I uh, sighted that bad boy in. Um, so I'm ready for that. But uh, no, the wife's been asking me to do a bunch of house projects this fall, and I was like, "Well, honey, it's kind of hunting season. Like maybe we should wait till winter when we're actually like stuck in the house, then we can start you know working on it." So. Yeah, now I can't be putting that stuff off anymore. So it's time to, you know, start picking up some leaves around the house and then, you know, doing some little bit of minor home home remodeling, I think, is what we're going to end up starting to do. So Yeah, man, that's yeah. good stuff. My wife is already, so I leave Sunday, and I'll be gone for 15 days. And uh, my wife's already, like, making a list of home renovation projects that I'm going to start on when I get back because she's like, all right, you get back. There's a long time until turkey season. So, you know time to get time to get cranking on some of these but i'm glad you mentioned uh your new vortex scope i don't have a vortex scope currently but i just got their new uh diamondback hd rangefinder and dude that thing is sweet like it is incredible um i've i've been using up till now this little cheapo you know deal that i got i think from bass pro a long time ago and uh finally started to upgrade also upgraded my binos uh to some of their let's see i think it's the the Viper HD 12 by fifties. Cause I want to set a few more observation sits this year. And yeah, man, Vortex produces some really high quality glass. You liking that scope? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's my first, like basically it's my first like quality scope too. It's not like being on my deer rifle, you know, you always have like kind of like a cheaper $6 scope or something. But this year I really wanted to invest in, you know, my hunting rifle and everything like that. So it's my first, I have a Vortex rangefinder as well, um, but this is my first um, optic from Vortex for scope wise, and I'm loving it. No, it's it's awesome. It's super clear. I mean, their warranties are phenomenal too. Like being in Wisconsin, we're blessed that Vortex is like basically right down the road from yeah. like anyone because they got you know the, their two locations. But yeah, uh, they're super nice. I actually when I was ordering the scope though. I also got the Vortex rings for the, yep, the mounted. And I was calling, I was like, hey, I don't, you know, I'm getting this scope. What size rings, you know, do I need? And they're just super helpful about all of that and everything like that. And I actually ended up going um, to the showroom and they ended up helping me. They mounted it for me and everything. So oh, nice. Awesome. Because, you know, it's got, they recommend a certain uh, pound or the certain, you know, pounds for screwing it in and mounting it and, no, so I, they uh, leveled it and everything for me, leveled it, foresighted it. And so basically when it was all said and done, all I had to do was zero it in. So it was awesome. It really helped me out with that. Yeah, they're they're a cool company, man. So I had, up until this year, I was using their, using their Crossfire binos. And I got into doing just some crazy stalking stuff on turkeys and all kinds of things last year. And I beat those binos to death. I mean, I like, I ruined them and it was 100% my fault, right? And so, uh, but I go online, they've got the VIP warranty. I go online, I send my stuff in and like really quickly, next thing you know, there's a box on my doorstep and it's just a brand new pair. 
It's like, yeah. what, what in the world? Like you just, no questions asked. It's like, obviously my fault that these binos are in this shape. And they're like, nah, we'll just send you some new ones. You're, we're, you're good. You're good. That's so awesome. yeah, it was great. So this year when I wanted to upgrade and get, you know, a, a little bit, these, those were like, you know, 10 by binos or something like that. Uh, and so I got the Vipers and man, the, I was impressed with the crossfire, but the clarity of these things is just phenomenal. And, and the distance that, that you can cover with 12 by fifties as compared to, you know, your, your old 10 buys is, uh, is pretty incredible, but man, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for sharing your story. Uh, if folks want to see pictures of the deer and they're not going to see maybe the cover of this one by going to the website or going to my Instagram page, uh, where can they find you on Instagram if they want to get a hold of you? Yep, just uh, at Francis Brecker is uh, my Instagram handle for everyone that wants to see it. So, all right, awesome, good deal, man. Well, good luck to you for the rest of the season, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. That's all for this week's episode. If you dig this podcast, be sure to go and subscribe wherever you find your other podcasts. If you would, please go leave us a five-star review. I'd very much appreciate it. You can follow along with all my outdoor adventures on Instagram, at the Wisconsin Sportsman. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Deer Lab. Please go support the brands that support this show. And until next time, make sure to take the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.